Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on September 12, 2021. Continuing the Galatians series, Pastor Rem Dias discusses Galatians 2, 1 through 10 in this sermon titled, Calling for a Course Correction. Thank you. 
presence here today. We ask that you would be with us, that you would come into our hearts, that you would help renew our faith and our awe of you. God, we, we come here with burdens from this week, from our lives, and we know that none of those things can destroy us or satisfy us. Lord, you are the only thing. You've conquered uh, anything that we've come up against. You've already won. And none of the desires of our flesh could ever satisfy our longing for you, God. So we just ask that you could come into our lives today, that, that we could feel satisfied in you, that we could yearn for you more and more, that you could replace all of the desires of our hearts, that we would only seek you, God, that we would find our identity in you, that we would rest in you, and that through you, we could love others in a way that this world has never seen. Only through you, in Christ's name we pray.
your bulletin, you can flip it over. And we're, we're coming out to a time of renewal. And uh, let, me just, let me just read this passage, and, and I'm going to kind of lead us a little bit uh, different in, a, um, in this renewal. It says, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Um, by the way, that's a, that's a command. <laughs> Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, again, I will say rejoice. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at this phrase, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, I would just encourage you, can we, like, it says don't be anxious about anything. And then I always found that, like, when, when, when anxiousness, you say don't be anxious about anything but prayer. As if to say, how do we deal with anxiousness? We, we, we bring it before the Father. We bring it before a God who is in control of every little detail of our life. And anxiousness, worry, is really a result of not lack of trust. Lack of trust that he's got this thing. And so um, I would just, uh, let's, let's I, as we go to the time of Sunday Prayer Confession, I'm just going to ask you, how have you been worried? What have you been anxious about? What have you been fearful about? And has it been and, and I would just invite you to bring it before a God who wants to give you peace. A God who understanding that he's like, hey, 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 child of mine, I've got the universe in my hands. There's not a cricket that won't jump over here, over there, without me saying it's okay. So we can rest. Alright? So let's go before this Father. Um, with our anxiousness, but also with our sin in a time of silent prayer and confession. Father, you are so good. You are so good. You make, you make all things, all things new. You are a God of peace. Father, I, I pray that God, whatever, whatever fears, whatever worries, whatever anxieties, or whatever sins, again, that we're, we're stirred up in our heart and mind right now, uh, Father, help us to leave the Give it to you and leave it at your feet. And I just pray, Father, your grace, your mercy will wash over any anxiousness, will wash over any sin, Lord, that Jesus, we would rest, rest in your power. We would rest in the power of the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. And I just, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to pour out Pour out upon this service 
that it would be another Sunday that you would just continue to renew in us. Renew in us the joy of knowing you, being captivated by your presence. And so Jesus said, Amen. All right, you hear the assurance of the pardon there in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amen. All right, I would encourage you to, to stand up and, and sing it loud as we respond in a time of clear response.
I'll wait for the day I send it. Woo! Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, it's okay to talk back in church, guys. It really is. Um, good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning, there you go. Hey, son. <laughs> uh, well, hey, if you have your Bible, I sure hope you uh, you do. If not, uh, there's no judgment here. Um, you can hopefully find one. We're in, we're in a church, so hopefully there's some in front of you, or you can get your phone out. That's fine. We're going to be in Galatians. We've been in Galatians. This is our fourth week through Galatians already. Hang on. Hang on. I know. Uh, there's, there's a couple of people in, in churches. There's some who are like, man, I love it. Like, go through a whole series for like 16 weeks or a whole year. I remember well, there was one time I was a part of a, a church that went through the Exodus, and like, it took us two years. It was just ridiculous. Um, and then, and then uh, there's some people who like, I just like, like four week things. Well, hang on, this is only going to be about 13 weeks, uh, so hopefully we're right in the middle there. So, uh, we're in chapter two, we've made it through one chapter, amen, great. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapter two, one through ten, is we're going to be camped out today. Gen- uh, not Genesis, gosh, Galatians, chapter two, one through ten. Here we go, reading from the ESV, says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to, get this, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go up to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The very thing I was eager to do. Amen. I'm calling this sermon, calling for a course correction. Calling for a course correction. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for uh, just your word. I thank you, God, that I can uh, take a deep breath and, and relax because your word actually is what does the work, Lord. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, God, you would help, uh, that, that you, yeah, that you would help me, that your, your, your spirit does pour upon us, that we can, we can be able to see 
And I just pray, like, this, this is a long passage, and there's a lot going on here. And I just pray that you would help, you would help me to show them what's here, and, and that God, you would get glory. That God, you would be magnified, and, and that the gospel would be made clear. And that, God, we want to be transformed more and more into your likeness by your grace. So, Lord, I pray that those things would happen. And I pray, yeah, God, have, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, experts in air navigation, uh, do, you have any, do you have any pilots in here, by the way? Um, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, experts in air, air uh, navigation have this rule of thumb called the 1 in 60 uh, rule. Has anybody, has anybody ever heard of the 1 in 60 rule? But, uh, so the 1 in 60 rule um, is for, for every degree. So if, if a plane is off one degree, okay, for every degree a plane veers off course, it misses its target by one mile for every 60 miles you fly. All right? So by every one mile for every 60 miles you fly, if it's one degree, you're off. So this means if you're traveling, obviously if you're traveling further, you're going to be, and you're off one degree, you're going to be off even, even more. Um, for example, instead of like, let's say you're traveling around the globe from Washington, D.C., okay? You would miss, and you're off one degree. Okay, so you pin there, you're off one degree. You would miss Washington, D.C. by 435 miles. All right, you would end up in Boston. Um, and, and this is just, I was thinking about this, and this is just crazy. Just one degree over a very long period of time, and you're way off course. And you're way off course. <laughs> See, uh, in today's text, Paul is really calling uh, for a course correction. All right, he's calling for a course correction. Uh, Gen- I mean, Galatians Chapter chapter two, uh, one through ten is not like your your most famous verses ever in Galatians. These are the ones you see on Pinterest or on coffee mugs. Okay, it's like you know the, this 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 section is like kind of like I don't know. Like, you just it's just, it's not very popular. But I'm what I what I found you what we see here is very important because Paul is saying if we if we do not call for this word correction. If we don't, if, if this meeting that I'm calling goes off, because I, I think we're off one degree, then this is gonna this is gonna just wreck the church. This is this is gonna cause so much. We're gonna be so off course. We're gonna be so off course. As a matter of fact, that's really what we're seeing again. Paul arguing over and over and over in Galatians is that man. Let's not get off this one degree. All right. So this is, uh, this is his second visit to Jerusalem, which I'll get to in just a second. But I wanted to give us a, just a brief recap of Galatians, because I just want to make sure we're tracking, we're keeping up to space. So a basic outline for Galatians, all right? You ready? I think you can handle this one, all right? You can break Galatians into thirds, okay? Into thirds, all right? So now when someone just randomly comes up to you and says, hey, outline the book of Galatians, you can be like, easy, I got this. Um, so the uh, chapters one through two, Chapters 1 through 2, chapters 3 through 4, and 5 through 6. That's how you can break it down. So chapters 1 through 2, what, what, what's, what's, what's mainly going on here is Paul is showing, he's giving his autobiography, okay? He's, he's, he's giving his autobiography, and he's bringing gospel clarity. He's introducing his argument, okay? This is, and he's bringing, making sure that we have clear direction of what the gospel is. 
And so you could label one through two like the who section. And then uh, the three through four is he doesn't move on from his argument. He just actually goes deeper into his argument using the Old Testament. So hang on. If you're like, man, let's get into some deep theology doctrine stuff, like three through four, then we're going to get into that. Like some of the law and some of these crazy laws and how Abraham ties into that. So uh, call this this section like the, the, the going into the weeds, the, the, doc, the doctrine of, of, of his argument, okay? And then five through six, which is classic Pauline letter, is um, the practical outworkings. The practical outworkings. So if this is, uh, you know, if, if I'm actually taking heed to what this is saying in Galatians, this is actually how it's going to apply to my life. You guys agree with that? So this is where we're at. This is kind of what um, Galatians is. So but the beginning of chapter 2, here's what's going on in the sentence that you can just write down and then you can just check out. You can go to sleep. Um, no, just kidding. Do not do that. Um, but here's my sermon in the sentence, you know, kind of where we're going. <clears throat> Paul is calling for a course correction meeting. He's calling for a course correction meeting, uh, all right, to bring gospel clarity. So he wants to make sure we're bringing gospel clarity, which leads then to gospel unity and gospel mission. All right? So he's calling for a course correction meeting to bring gospel clarity, which leads to gospel unity and the gospel mission. Are we tracking? All right. Good. Here. So let's dive in. So uh, uh, verses 1 through 5, gospel clarity. The text says after 14 years, uh, he went up to Jerusalem. Now. I have read a ton um, on this passage, you know, you know, commentaries for days, and um, there is debate. There's, there's great debate. Whether is this is this um, when Paul went up, um, and this is the famous Acts 15, Acts 15 Jerusalem Council meeting. So there's some people that think this is this is this visit to Jerusalem. All right, and then there's others who think this. Well, no, this is when he went up in Acts 11. Acts 11, verse 32, and he, he went up to help the poor, and there's a lot of people who think this is this meeting. All right? Which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think um, I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with the majority of that it's Acts 11, because it's an earlier section. Acts 15 happens later. We know Galatians is an earlier letter. I believe it's Acts 11. You just, you want to, but it doesn't, I mean, it, it's, we, we don't get wrapped up so much in the weeds of, of, of when this happened, but what, why, why did he go up? That's the better, why is he going up? And the text shows us he went up because of a divine revelation. Now, we've been talking about this, and you guys all remember every sermon, everything we've said, you've got it memorized, so good. I don't have to review anything. Um, but no, uh, I understand this, so it comes up. Uh, but divine revelation, meaning that the same Jesus that was appearing to Peter, or appearing to James, appearing to John, was the same Jesus that appeared to Paul. He's got divine revelation. And if you really want to know if where I think this divine revelation happens, I think it's Acts eleven thirty two. Okay, and and he is he's being he's being pulled by the Spirit to go up to Jerusalem. Now, when you look at the text, and it says, "Now I went up to, to Jerusalem to make sure I wasn't running in vain." Some people look at that, that phrase, running in vain, and think, oh, Paul's going up because he's doubtful of his message. He's going up because he thinks, oh, I, I need to make sure I'm actually saying what's right. Now, I don't think that's it. And I really don't think that's it. Because here's why. Number one, Paul did preaching for 14 years already. 
Think about it. He just now goes up there. 14 years, he's already explaining the gospel. And he was so sure. We, I mean, if you've been tracking in first, the, this first chapter, Paul is so sure of his apostleship. He is so sure that this is a divine revelation that he is. So I don't think he's going up because he's like, oh, I'm so unsure about my message. But he, again, I think he is fearful. I think he is fearful that his brothers, Peter, James, and all these other apostles, their message and his message maybe not be lined up. And he's fearful that they are maybe going to buy in. They're going to buy into this false doctrine that has been stewing around in here. One author um, on this says, to describe his fears, Paul used the illustration of a foot race, such as a relay race. Paul knew that he would complete his leg of the race, but he needed to be sure that the other apostles were also carrying the gospel baton. All right? Otherwise, his efforts would have been wasted, and the church would have never made it to the finish line. So he wants to make sure everyone were on agreement here. And again, what were these false teachers saying? I'm going to beat this down into our heads. This is going to keep coming up, so hang on there. But this is actually the first time circumcision is actually used, which is always a fun thing to talk about in church. Um, but these false, these, these false brothers, they slip in to spy out the freedom that they are having. They slip in to spy out the freedom that they're having, and they were saying, again, they were trying to pull these Christians back into slavery. By adding to the gospel, by saying again, you have to obey the ceremonial law of circumcision. Now, just we're going to talk more about ceremonial laws and laws in general because he's going to get really into how we how do we handle the Old Testament law. Has anybody been reading the Old Testament at times and like, what in the world? Like, uh, Pastor, uh, you have tattoos in your arm, and I read the Leviticus tattoo this, and like, hold it. Like, what do we do with these laws? And we'll, we'll get into that. But really, you have to understand, circumcision was a very, very, very important mark for the Israelites. Very important. It set them apart. It was a way of showing that they were clean. All right? And then, then there was a, all these other kind of ceremonial laws. Have you read some of these? Like, hey, what? Don't eat pork. All right? You know, like, eat, be kosher. All right? You know, and there's, don't cut your hair. All these different, for 2,000 years, these laws, okay, they were doing these laws because it was setting them apart as a nation. These were these ceremonial laws, and they meant to make it clean and to be set apart. Now, to combat this, Paul, he's going to keep combating this in different angles. He combats it right here by bringing, I love this, he brings someone. He literally brings a physical witness to say, you, you guys are off the rails. And who does he bring? He brings Titus. Which Titus was in there? I pick one. Um, but <laughs> he brings Titus. And why does he bring Titus? You want to take a guess? Look at the text. He's a Greek. Why is that a big deal? Because the guy is a Greek. He's a gentle. He is not circumcised. And that guy likes some bacon. He's got a big plate of bacon. He's got that pork chop going on. All right, so he, literally, uh, Paul brings this uncircumcised bacon lover guy up to this meeting, and he sets him before him, and he's like, look at this guy. 
This guy has not been circumcised. He's still got bacon on his chin. And this guy, I mean, are we really going to look at this guy and say that he's not going to be circumcised? No, he, do not make him fall back into slavery. Don't you dare make him fall back into slavery and say, hey, he's got to do these lists. He's got to do this. Let him walk in the freedom of Christ. Now, how does this apply? Guys, again, you might be like, I've heard this kind of thing, but, uh, but keep in mind that this is too, this, like, we're, all, we're often to say, oh my gosh, yes, like, why would they do that? So why would they make circumstances? But again, this is an old tradition, and I am convinced there's many of us who we have made things in the church that are not biblical, and we're, that, that, we, I mean, that are good things. They might be good things. But we have made them because we have just done for so long. We make them main things. And we ask the purity of the gospel. I might, it, might, it might stir some of you up right now, but this was, again, circumcision was, again, that thing that set them apart. Okay, it set them apart. As if to say there's certain things that we think set us apart. Like, hey, it's, it's Jesus plus my way of thinking about parenting. It's Jesus plus my way of thinking about education. It's Jesus plus being a Democrat. Jesus plus being a Republican. Jesus plus this race. Jesus plus our way of thinking about how to handle money. And I'm telling you right now, guys... We don't ever say it's Jesus plus. Be very careful of how much. I guess I love good Bible reading plans. I love certain authors. Okay, there's there's certain reasons why I am in this enough, like EPC, like we're here. But be very careful if we start holding on to tradition so hard that we're actually moving it into the gospel. Are you tracking? And so he's making sure. So that's one way to apply. But also this applies because Paul is also clarifying the gospel by also preserving the gospel. Look at this section of the text where it says the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And the same is true for us. We will continue to preserve this gospel when we spread this gospel. See, people in our world are being discipled by something. Everybody is being discipled by something. Everybody is being discipled by something. And, <laughs> um, and if we stay quiet with the gospel, then how again the world is going to know what is the true gospel? I was thinking about this. Imagine if, imagine if Paul did not say anything. He didn't say anything. He wouldn't be protecting the gospel. He wouldn't be bringing gospel clarity. And I would just encourage you guys, we're not protecting the gospel. Yeah, you might think, oh, we got our theology down. We're, we're this and this and this. We, we get it. We get it in our head. We get it in our head. But I would say we're continually, I don't know if we're really protecting it. We're really preserving it if we're not spreading it. Right. <laughs> He wanted to preserve the gospel for future generations. So what did he do? He made sure it was being passed on. Uh, I was thinking about this. Um, I came across this illustration <coughs> um, this week. Uh, the Mona Lisa. 
the famous painting Mona Lisa. Okay? The famous painting Mona Lisa has only been out of its case twice. Uh, one time in 1963 in Washington, D.C., and the other time in 1964 uh, on its way to Tokyo. Okay? Now, um, could you imagine being the person who's actually delivering the Mona Lisa? All right? At least only these few rare times. Okay? You're actually the person. I guarantee you what you would not do, all right? Um, I guarantee you what you would not do is be like, man, she's ugly. Ugh. Like, we need, to put a little, we need to put a little makeup on her and, you know, get the Sharpies out and let's put a little, you know, some stuff on here and let's, let's dress her up a bit and let's make sure, because she, shoot, this painting's rough. Uh, you wouldn't do that, all right? Unless you wanted to go to jail, I guess, for the rest of your life or something. No, because it's a pristine, beautiful painting. And you're not going to touch it. And guys, that's the same thing with the gospel. We've been entrusted with this beautiful, pristine, awesome, no greater truth in the world gospel that we have through Christ. And guess what? You're the waiter. You ain't the chef. So does that mean you just take it and you deliver it? You don't mess with it. We don't tamper with it. We just keep extending it. All right? And, and, and in the midst of extending it, in the midst of doing this, we are actually bringing clarity to this world of what truth is and what the gospel is. All right? So that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. And then uh, he wins. I mean, did you, did you see it? you see it in the text? He wins because they don't make Titus go be circumcised. So he actually wins. This is a great, this is a great victory. And again, one degree off. If he would have, if we would have not, if they would have said, oh, you have to be circumcised, the church would have had another sect, and it would have, it would not, we would not have what we have today. So it's just this one degree. But he wins, and then in the midst of that, because they're like, oh yeah, freedom in Christ. We're not gonna have this guy be circumcised. It leads to two beautiful realities. It leads to gospel unity. That's the first one. We'll get to that. Gospel unity, verses 6 through 9. This is where uh, we'll find this. I love how this, um, this section starts. In verse 6, it says, Those who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, when you look at that, uh, and that, those, by the way, let me just clarify, when it says those who seemed influential, he actually says this over and over again throughout. He says it three times. He's talking about Peter, okay, a high up apostle. He's talking about James. He's talking about John. All right? These, these high, uh, you know, these high, high um, authoritative apostles uh, in the first century church, okay? He's talking about these guys. And he says those who seemed, they added nothing to me. Now, what does this mean? Because you look at it, you're like, man, Paul, you're kind of a punk. Are you like saying, like, man, these guys, they're nothing to me. Man, these guys, don't listen to them. They're not that great. No. I mean, he knew that they were high up. They were, they were these high, amazing leaders. He's saying that he is not so persuaded by their level of leadership that it may make me change my gospel. He's like, I respect them, but what? they're not adding anything to my gospel. And here's a practical principle I think you need to make, be very aware of, especially with a new pastor. Be very careful how much you let your leaders captivate your heart. 
Be very careful how much you let your leaders captivate your heart. Now, you, you should respect your leaders, the spiritual leaders, pastors, yes. But often I think sometimes we put too much weight on people with higher credentials or leadership or authority. And let me just paint this example. Uh, Francis Chan was like one of these, like one of my spiritual heroes. Okay? Uh, a little bit of my testimonies because I read his book. And he, Francis Chan is an amazing pastor, by the way. Uh, Southern California. Well, he's all around now, but he's an amazing guy, and I I just love this man. And I remember just reading and reading every book he's read. I just at one point in my life, just all all the time listening to his sermons. But I started realizing I started spending more time listening and reading Francis Chan than I was my Bible. I started saying Francis Chan more than maybe Holy Spirit. And I would just be very careful. Look, I mean, yes, guys, God has given you uh, amazing leadership and heroes in the faith that you should be like, yes, this is amazing. I want to look up to you. But do not put them on this pedestal where it's over Christ. Jesus alone is our supreme leader with amazing wisdom. I like what one author says. He says, don't applaud the servant when the king is there. Don't involve the servant when the king is there. So I would just encourage you, keep a watch over how much you're, you're putting there. And Paul's like, hey, man, these guys are great. I'm going to respect them, but I'm not going to put them over Christ. So keep that in mind. And then on verse 7, I love verse 7. Track with me, hang with me. Uh, all the, he says, on the contrary, the apostles realized that Paul had been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. And so what he is saying, uh, this is so important. What Paul is saying is like, I'm going to the Gentiles. Peter, you can go to the circumcised. Um, Peter's not saying, Paul, what are you doing? You need to be coming over here to the circumcised. And Paul is like, hey, what are you doing? You need to be coming over here to the Gentiles. There's none of that. No, there is. Hey, you're going there. I'm going here. This is great. I'm extending my hand of fellowship to you. I understand that you, uh, Paul, have been entrusted with the same gospel. We see that. You're going to the Gentiles. Bro, that's amazing. Peter's like, but I'm going to the circumcised. And Paul's like, that's amazing. And they're extending the right hand of fellowship to one another. Even though... Even though they had two totally different types of groups that they were reaching. Big time. Are you kidding me? Big time. And here's why this is so important. And here's the principle that we have to keep in mind as a new church plant continually. As long as that there is gospel centrality. And what I mean that is what he's been saying. As long as there's an agreement on what is true about the gospel and centered on who Jesus is, as long as there's good gospel clarity, all right, we should extend our right hand of fellowship. We should be extending our right hand of fellowship. One author says, the, evan um, the, uh, the evangelization of the world depends on this kind of cooperation in the church. Rather than taking pride in our own ministry, we should celebrate what God is doing through others. Guys, again, this is really important for us. 
Because I'm telling you, I don't think churches do this well. And it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. For example, let's say you, you, you go to Denver and you see a church that is worshiping a certain way and they're they're wearing different things and you know that you know it, I mean they're not wearing anything crazy, but there's just a you know different style of worship and there's 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 a different um, ethos to them. There's a different way of how they're reaching out uh, among the people in the town. It would be so wrong of us. It'd be so wrong of us if there is sure foundation, if there's gospel clarity happening in that church. It'd be so wrong of us to say, "Well, you got to do it. You need to be like us." This is how we do it. This is what we're doing. At Grace, you need to be like us. Every matter of fact, every church in uh, uh, Lake, you got wrong. You need to be like us. You need to be like Grace Lake. Because we, we, we obviously know what we're doing. No, are you kidding me? As long as there's gospel clarity, as long as the truth of the gospel is being extended, we say this, bro, <laughs> I shouldn't say bro, brother or sister, here's my human fellowship. I spent like two hours with Chris McFadden this last week. And just amazing working with him. And he's a guy in Wesleyan Church. We're not in competition. Guys, we've got to start seeing, okay, listen, our world's got to start seeing different denominations who are orthodox, who there's clear, again, we're agreement on essentials, working together better. Because the last thing the world is going to see is a divided church. Uh, the famous sin, they will know we are Christians. Why? By our love. By our love towards one another. And so let's make sure that we're moving. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying here. It's like these guys are going to the Gentiles. These guys are going to circumcise. It's great. We have, we're, we're agreed on the message. So I'm stating my hand in partnership. Are you guys tracking with me on that one? Because this is big for us. Because we're not saying we're Grace Lake and we're, we, we, we have all the answers. Okay, and, and, and so keep that in mind. And then let's land the plane here with this last point. So Paul brings gospel clarity. Then he brings, he wins that, he brings, wins that. So what results is gospel unity. And then gospel mission. Now you look at verse 10. I'll tell you what, I was wrecked by verse 10 this week. You look at verse 10 and you think, this is kind of weird. This doesn't seem like it should be there. Like he's just gospel, 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 and then he talks about the poor. So he's saying that Peter, James, and John are saying, okay, let's go. We got, we got clarity of the gospel. This is great. We're going to be unified on this. But, Paul, make sure you remember the poor. Make sure you remember the poor. Now, who is the poor here? This is really important to understand. So, He's actually, right now, he's actually talking about, there are poor in Jerusalem he's actually, that these guys are talking about. That's why I think it's Acts 11. You can go back and read it. But so he's, the poor that's actually, I think, being specifically talked about right here is the, these poor um, people in, in Jerusalem. But, also, if you flip over, and I'm cheating and going ahead, Galatians 6.10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. 
especially those who are of the household of faith. So what that verse just said is make sure you take care of the poor, especially in the church for like your brothers and sisters in the church, the poor, like let's make sure. But also to everyone. Now, when I start talking about the poor with believers, sometimes it's there's a theology of how we take care of the poor, and it's like, oh my gosh, sometimes we can so talk about, well, I don't want to enable them, I don't want to enable them, I don't want to enable the poor, that we actually, I think we've abused that so much that we actually don't go to the poor anymore. Yes, 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 okay, I'll say it. The Bible does talk about how those who don't work should be, and we should be very wise about who we're actually helping, because yes, in actually helping someone who is actually not just working, you're actually enabling, and that could be a bad thing. A great book, if you want to, you know, as you think about giving to the poor, is When Helping Hurts. Best book, I, hands down, how to read that. But, yes, we need to make sure there's a legitimate need, but we still don't, don't let that own. Always justify you not actually going to the poor. Because Peter, James, and John were very serious about the poor. Okay? Uh, they, they wouldn't have put it in here in this verse 10, but also, look at this. This is what Peter says about the poor. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, extending the hand of the poor. James would say, if your brother comes to you in need, and you say, go away, be warm and filled, what kind of faith is that? And John John gets a little more in your face when he says, Brothers, if you have the world's goods and close your heart to someone in need, how does the love of God abide in you? Now, when I look at this section, it's all what? Gospel, 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 right? Paul's like, okay, we've got to clarify the gospel. We've got to clarify, okay, there's gospel unity. We're going to the circumcised. You're going to the uncircumcised. It's all gospel, 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 gospel. It's all gospel and poor. So the agenda of the meeting would have been two things on the agenda. Would have been gospel. Talking about the gospel. And now we're going to talk about the poor. Gospel poor. And if we're not careful, I, I was so convicted of this. I was like, oh my goodness. What is, what is it normally in the West? Is it, does it go like that for us? Gospel poor. Or does it go gospel church building? Gospel how well we can make our worship service. Gospel how great we can make our kids ministry. Gospel and what is it? Is it gospel poor? Martin Luther, who, you know, he's not, he didn't write scripture, but pretty important guy. He says this, next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the task of a good pastor. Do you guys want a good pastor? I'm sure I hope you want a good pastor. So he says, next to the proclamation of the gospel, it's the task of a good pastor to be mindful of the poor. To be mindful of the poor. Guys, we need to be asking, I need to be asking, we need to be asking ourselves in Lincoln, who are the poor? Who are the poor? Who are the people that are the least, the least, the least of these? 
Because in this text, Paul says, I was eager. Look at it. Verse 10, he says, I was eager. He doesn't say I was burdened. He said, I was eager to go to the poor. I was eager to do this. It wasn't a burden, guys. Again, one of the greatest threats to a church plant is thinking out. We just grow inward and we don't grow outward. We just, we start thinking inward, 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 inward. And I, I, you might be thinking, well, Rand, how is, I mean, caring for the poor, how is that evangelizing? How is that sharing the gospel? We're just caring for the poor. Well, John Piper, I love what John Piper says on this. He says, the least developed countries are the most unreached countries. Or to say that most of the poor are the unevangelized. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be, again, honest with you guys. I'm going to be so honest with my heart. This is, this is something that's hard for me because I've been burnt serving the poor at times, and it's sticky, and it's messy, and it's like, ah, it's not always clear cut. But I do not want to know. I do not want to know 10 amazing theologians and 10 new podcasts and that one poor person. I don't want our church to become that. Where we're all about Man, how cool, how great can we make it for us? How comfortable can we be? And we don't even know who the poor are. We don't even know who the people is with the greatest scene in Lakin. Now, I'm not trying to give the shameless and feel I mean, that's not the point. The point is like, we just need to be intentional because he's saying, hey, it's, it's intentional. We need to be intentional here. So, in close though, what? How do I get motive, Brent? How do I get motive? Okay, I get it. I should be going for But what should be my motive? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing the help in the poor. I don't really want. What should be my motive? And should, our motive should be always to look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. Because look at, if I look, look, look what Jesus says. Jesus spent, like, you look at his ministry. Who is he spending time with? Like, you can't argue this with me. Who is he spending time with? He was spending time with the sick. The lame, the poor. He literally steps on the scene and he reads like, he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who were opposed. So we look at Jesus because this is what our leader was doing. So we keep our eyes on him, and we keep our eyes on him, and by also, look at this, this is really helpful for you. By keeping your eyes on Jesus, it actually births compassion because for others. Because here's why. Because you realize by looking at Jesus, you were poor. You were poor. We were poor. How do you come into the kingdom? How do you come into the kingdom of God? You come into the kingdom of God spiritually bankrupt and in need. And I am in desperate need. I'm coming in. I am poor. I am spiritually broken. I have, I have weight that I cannot stand on my soul. I have been broken. And you come to him in that way. And his grace meets you and he transforms you. And this is, and it's again, again, it's in Galatians the same. This is nothing we're doing. But it's just, again, his hand 
of grace and mercy to you. So by, look at, here it is. Remember, I think every bit of our power comes from the gospel. Because he's saying, as you were poor, and as you realize that you were poor and spiritually needy, and his grace comes to you, that, and look at that and remember that, you then want to extend the same grace to those who, yes, are physically poor, but also then are spiritually poor. So, as Paul called for this course correction, I would ask you, do you, do you need a course correction? Are you, are you spiritually bankrupt this morning? Are you lost? Are you hurting? Are you worried? Are you depressed? Are you feeling the weight of your sin this morning? You feel far from God? Hear the good news. Here they could be just as Paul is eager to go to the poor, Jesus is eager to save. He is eager to come and rescue you and redeem you and restore you and heal you and renew you in the gospel and equip your hands then to extend that same mercy and love. So just as Paul this is Paul showing us. Let us make sure we have gospel clarity, which leads to gospel unity and gospel mission. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. I pray that God, you would help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I am praying that, Lord, I, Holy Spirit, anything I said that maybe just was the word or the phrase or maybe a whole poem or whatever that someone needed to hear that would help them grow in grace. God, let those truths sink down into their hearts and let them apply it. Lord, let them apply it. Let us be transformed by this word. Let's be transformed. God, thank you so much that you again have come. And that we are not, <laughs> again, I love it. That Titus didn't, they didn't say, oh, we have to circumcise Titus now. No, but there's freedom. There's freedom in Christ. So, God, again, help us to ditch, ditch the works that lead us back into slavery and let us rest again in the freedom of Christ. And so, Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come now to the time of tithes and offering. Uh, we've, we've read this verse here uh, before, but it's such a powerful one. It's Matthew 6, 21, where it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Uh, I've done counseling before where I say, okay, you know, let me see your checkbook. And, you know, and it's like, whoa, uh, let me see your bank statements. And, and, and it's like, whoa. Um, and, you know, I don't ever actually look. It's just metaphorically. And I say, hey, okay, I can show you where your heart is. A lot of times you can see where your heart is by looking at that. And so I would just encourage you. I would encourage you for your doing again. If it, it's in your heart to give. Um, again, to the mission, to the hopefully of the advancement of the gospel here in Lincoln. There's ways to give uh, in the envelopes on the back uh, and then uh, online. Uh, but I would invite you to, to stand as we sing our closing song, Lord, I Need You.
We'll go this week knowing that you were spiritually poor, and yet Christ has rescued you and redeemed you. And now extend that same grace to those around us. Amen? All right. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.